from our New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And Zach, before we uh, we jump into today's topic, which um, I also, some people might say I'm negative about, but uh, I, have, I have strong opinions about, um, you know, I, I wanted to sort of chat a little bit about, uh, you know, what what you know you have seen recently going on in the drink scene any anything of note you know it's really interesting i i i think that the fascinating thing for me the two fascinating things that have been going on for me is is one you know uh you're starting to see this um this interesting pushback that i've been getting from um from like certain people in the wine industry uh, out here, at least uh, mainly on the wine production side. Um, but, but weirdly, I think there was a period of time when everyone was sort of like, uh, it was not, you, you kind of had to play up, even if you weren't a, certainly a natural winemaker, or even you weren't as, you know, sort of um, aggressively organic or sustainable, you know, you sort of, when I was getting, you know, talked to by, by producers and by reps about wine, they were sort of like, let me highlight, you know, the things I do sustainably. And just I, maybe it's just random coincidence, but like a couple of producers I've tasted with lately have almost kind of gone in the opposite direction. That's not to say that they're like, we are proudly dumping chemicals on our vineyard and like, you know, using a bunch of stuff and putting stuff in our wine. But they kind of have like been portraying themselves to me as this sort of like almost like, yeah, we don't go in for any of that bullshit. Like we still grow our grapes the exact same way we've been doing it for a while and we still make our wine the same way. And I don't know that I necessarily think that that's a great way to position yourselves. I mean, you can just avoid the topic if you want, but it was really interesting to me to see a couple of different people from a couple of different regions uh, on the West Coast sort of like almost highlight their non-natural wine, like their their sort of opposing position to that in a more sort of assertive way than I'd seen before, which I don't know. I, I don't know if it's uh, going to be something that's just going to end up being a coincidence that I happen to see a few of these people in the same short stretch of time, but it was it was odd it, it caught me a little off guard i think i've seen this too i mean a lot of it i think is uh just this reaction that some people are having to the natural wine conversation right so it's like uh don't loop me in with those hippies and so therefore they're sort of just they're trying to play down how they pra- how they practice their viticulture even if they do practice organically i also think some people have sort of started to see even organics as a gimmick um you know like Okay, so basically what we've realized is that f- making anything organic in terms of produce is just following a bunch of rules, but those rules, you know, actually allow for just as much, you know, chemical that we might consider poison as, uh, you know, if we were to farm conventionally. Like, I think the thing is none of us really know right now. I don't know if, uh, if you're, you know, a follower of the news, but, you know, there's, there's been this, whole recent uh debate even over whether roundup this chemical that we've you know thought is evil forever now actually even causes the cancer that some people have said that it causes there's like a a bunch of listening to npr this morning and there's like a there's a huge debate now between a bunch of really well-regarded scientists of whether or not roundup actually does cause any issues um i still think look roundup's a bad chemical please do not email the podcast and say that adam teeter is advocating for roundup but i think it just shows that you know any as with anything in science um you know a lot of these a lot of these studies are hard to pin down when there is something truly negative because what a bunch of scientists are saying is like look we know that it can cause some issues in terms of the carcinogen that's inside of roundup but only when that carcinogen is in at a massive 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 level yeah right and that's a level that we never really see in 
in the real world. Um, so therefore, like, could it? Yes, but does it? No. Um, and so, you know, I think we're just sort of dubious of all these things. We also know that copper can be really bad for you in certain doses, and copper is allowed in organic farming. Um, so I think, yeah, a lot of a lot of people are trying to just sort of play down what they're doing because, like, look, like, at, at in, as with anything, you can poke holes, right? Uh, and so I, I do think it's interesting. I've sort of seen that happening as well in in the in the world of beer and the world of spirits as well. So it, it's really. I don't know, man. We're we're in interesting times because I think everyone just thinks that any term that they use at this point is so heavily charged. One way or other. Also, like you may not want to say it as well because like you don't want to turn someone off, right? Like someone says, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm natural." Oh, fuck you, you know, or "Oh, I'm not natural." Oh, how dare you? I don't want to taste your wine. Like I think everyone, you know, it's just because of this theme that we've talked about before in the world of alcohol, where like we become just as politically charged as everything else in our in our daily lives, and um, everyone's just like really nervous about it. Okay, I have a question for you that yeah. is, I think, on a maybe a more uh, a less politically charged topic, but maybe I don't know. Anything these days, as you said, can can reach this level. So I know that this has to be happening in just an insane at an insane rate in New York because uh, it's happening in Seattle, and, and and New York tends to I think drive this kind of thing a lot. Is the city entirely full of rooftop bars now? Is that like all that anyone's opening? So. I mean, there's lots of rooftop bars, but I wouldn't say it's full of rooftop bars. I think that that real estate is just so expensive and the the insurance is so insane probably to open one that there's not a lot of them. There's still like the ones that sort of everyone knows. I don't, I don't hear of them opening like crazy. Maybe I'm just out of it. I, I, I see more people trying to open, you know, drinking locations that happen to be outside, if that makes sense, right? So, sure. hey, we're going to do a pop-up at Governor's Island for the entire summer. There's a there's a bar called Taco Vista and Governor's Island Beer Co. run by the guys that own Alphabet City Beer Company. And, like, they go to the Governor's Island for, you know, however long that season lasts and run an outdoor bar. Uh, you have a lot of people doing that in Brooklyn as well, where they're doing, like, these pop-up bars outside. Um it's not a thousand rooftops. And also like, as we all know, a lot of people who go to rooftops become dicks while they, when they go to a rooftop bar. And I think a lot of bar owners don't want to deal with that. Um, so not, not a ton. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, that goes a little against the, uh, the perception I had here, but, uh, I, I believe you. I think it's also funny. I've seen a couple of like press releases for what are termed rooftop bars. And then you like go in and read the fine print and it's like a third floor. And I'm like, yeah, I, mean, I guess rooftop. maybe it's your rooftop, but like, that's kind of underwhelming to me. Like I got to be at least like eight, 10 stories up before I feel like it's really a rooftop. Otherwise, otherwise I'm just drinking outside, which is delightful and something that should be more permiss more allowed and more legal in this country, because there are a few things more enjoyable than a nice summer day and a alcoholic yeah. beverage in hand but that's we'll talk about alcohol legislation some other time i mean i would love that that conversation i think that, i think open container laws in this country are bullshit i would actually love to have that conversation i think we should bring on a legal expert and talk about it because that always blows me away every time i go to europe that there's all these cities in which you see people just enjoying you know a drink you know in the park or you know on a stoop or whatever after work and you know hanging out with friends and it's a really nice easy cheap way to drink outside that you just can't do here which is really unfortunate i mean i know that a lot of places obviously that aren't new york and you know maybe san francisco and possibly places in seattle you have backyards and you can do that already so you say well screw you a few cities who can't but it's nice in a city to be able to do that and Right now, there's probably a good portion of the population that can get away with it because of the color of their skin, and that's bullshit because there's a whole population that can't. And 
So like that's why we just need to to liberalize these laws because I I know lots of people will say oh I drink all my soup all the time but yeah like that's because you look a certain way and you have privilege and if you looked a different way a cop would pull over and give you a ticket and yeah. so let's just liberalize the open container laws but we should definitely talk about that uh, you know in an episode to come and if anyone who listens to the podcast knows of any uh, any lawyers uh, or you know people with experts on these laws that we can talk to about this I would love to have that conversation because I think uh, it is something that is a benefit of living in in a lot of cities in Europe that we don't have here yeah email us podcast at vinepair.com if you or someone you know would be a a suitable interviewee for that. Cause I think you're right. That would be a fun conversation, but we definitely need a little more legal grounding uh, than I think either you or I have. You know, let's, let's jump into today's topic. Sorry to cut you off, Zach, but no uh, I think that this one's really interesting. So I, I have strong opinions about this topic and I, I'm sure you do too. So what gave me the idea for this topic is I got a press release this week and the press release says as the subject, Riedel, or Rydell, Rydell High, but let's say Riedel because that's actually how they say the name, introduces the first ever cocktail-specific glassware collection. In six shapes, neat rocks, highball, Nick and Nora, sour, and fizz, Riedel, Riedel's new glassware will ensure the characteristic ingredients of each pour are enhanced in the glass they were designed for. Okay? So basically what Riedel is saying is they've created glassware that ensures that they're that when you make these cocktails, they are better than if you make if you serve them in different kinds of glassware. And Riedel's been notorious for for this these claims for a long time now. Riedel has made glassware for a really long time that they say is specific for different beers they've done it with, and also specific for different wines, right? There's this glass is the only glass that you should drink Burgundian red from. This glass is the only glass in which you should drink Nebbiolo out of. This glass is the only glass in which you should drink Napa Cabernet from. Um, and they've made a lot of money doing it. They've done the same thing with IPA, with, uh, you know, porters and south, and now they're doing it with cocktails, which leads me to our big question, which is, does glassware matter? And is this claim true or is it bullshit? What say you, Zach? Oh my God. I, I have to admit, I like almost like lost it while you were just reading that press release because I was like, I just, this, few things make me angrier and I don't, you know, Adam's the ranty one on this podcast for the most <laughs> part, but, but few things in the world of beverage make me angrier than this sort of idea that to be a, a very, very sophisticated restaurant or to be a true wine connoisseur at home, you must have like 80 different fucking glasses. It is such bullshit. I will start by saying this. I have nothing against Riedel and the other companies that have come along that have to some extent um, followed in their footsteps or at least kind of tried to take up this space. Their businesses, they make some really beautiful glassware. They also make some stuff that I think is kind of dumb and whatever. That that's Their job is not necessarily to be 100% honest about the benefits of their product. I mean, I don't want them to lie about it, but you know, is there a 2% improvement in your glass of wine when you drink it out of the right glass? Eh, maybe. I don't know. I think most of the testing that quote unquote testing that's done around done has been done around this is really anecdotal and, you know, is, uh, is, is often sort of structured in such a way that just like the Pepsi challenge was structured to make Pepsi seem better. So too are these, are these sort of tastings or comparatives, you know, they, they know what they're doing and, and that's fine. That's their job to sell their glassware. Um, and I think it's incumbent on the rest of us to say, like, huh, does the does this company that manufactures a really wide range of glasses have an inherent bias and uh, and a sort of benefit from selling me a bunch of different glassware? Probably. Yeah. So maybe I should be a little bit vigilant. So to me, I think it's important to have, you know, 
a few different glasses. I think there is a difference between, uh, I think size of glass is important. I think to some extent shape is important. I think less important than size, but like it just, stop it. I don't, I, I hate it when I go out to dinner and, and I, or, or go to a wine tasting or whatever. And I get, you know, every wine in a different glass. It's just ridiculous. It, it, it's, it is a kind of pretension that for one, I know is being passed on to me cost wise in the first place that I don't want. And second of all, it's just like, it's this sort of like, I don't know, it, it feels like insecurity on the part of the restaurant or bars part. Like if your wine is good, you should be able to serve it to me in a tumbler and I should still enjoy it. Now, I prefer, <laughs> I prefer a glass, like, what are you hiding if you're if you're trying to wow me with a really really fancy elaborate glass? And, and my last point on this, and then I will let you say what I'm sure will be something vaguely similar. <laughs> this is maybe this is maybe my complaint, but like I find the really fine glassware actually to be less enjoyable to drink from because I am so fucking concerned about breaking it. Like, well, you're, so you're talking about like the super thin stuff now. Yeah, like, but I mean, like, what's what's portrayed as the highest end glassware, and you know, I get a chance to tra- drink from that stuff from time to time, and it's cool, and like, you know, you feel kind of fancy in a certain way, but like, when it feels like a thing that might disintegrate upon just like the faintest touch, and I'm not saying it does or does not, I'm not here to to, to sort of gauge the structural integrity of these glasses and whether the thin ones are actually any are actually stronger, as sometimes is claimed. I don't know. I'm just telling you from the from the feel of it in my hands and from drinking from it. I, I'm like, I can't enjoy my wine because I'm too concerned about like, oh shit, are they going to charge me 50 bucks if I break this glass? Yeah, it's insane. And I think like, look, I, I don't want to just pick on Riedel because I think a lot of other uh, wine glassware companies have followed in their footsteps of saying they make specific uh, glasses for specific wines. But I will say that the only people that seem to buy into this are winemakers and wine professionals. Uh, and the same in terms of some beer professionals, although most beer professionals will tell you to just screw off and drink your beer out of a pint. Or maybe, maybe, maybe they would say like, the, look, we will admit that the beer is a little bit better when you drink it out of a teku glass, which teku glasses are amazing. Um, they're sort of like a, a hybrid kind of wine-esque glass, which I do I do think, you know, the beer, at least you can smell the aromas a little bit better from. But besides that, I do think that uh, most of it is marketing bullshit. And guess what? It's not just my opinion that says that. So in 2014, we published an article in which we basically questioned whether or not glassware was bullshit. And in writing that article, our reporter found a 2000 study. I'm just going to read you exactly what she found in this study. So in 2000, two scientists set out to test the hypothesis that glassware makes a difference. And their research was published in a 2002 study in the Journal for Sensory Studies. Janine Delwich and Marsha Pelchat of the Monell Chemical Senses Center gave subjects four glasses to smell and drink from with the same wine in them. A square-shaped crystal water goblet, a standard cheap restaurant wine glass, a Riedel Chardonnay glass, and a Riedel Bordeaux glass. They created a nifty blindfold out of goggles to prevent the aesthetics of each glass from being, from interfering in the way the subjects judge the smell and taste of the wine. And they also created a chin rest to control for distance from the glass. So, so let's start, you know, basically they had a control. Every glass was the exact same distance from the nose. Every positioning of the nose was the exact same for all four glasses. Their conclusions were not good news for people that believe that glassware matters. For the intensity ratings of most attributes, no significant difference was found between the glasses, they wrote. There was, bizarrely, a difference between the way men and women rated the mustiness of wines, but we can talk about that later. Otherwise, the only significant findings was that likers of red wine gave higher liking ratings than did dislikers of red wine, which is as one which is as one would expect. There was a small difference in intensity that the subjects registered. The aroma of the wine from the Bordeaux glass registered a less intense 
rating actually than the other glasses. But overall, they concluded that none of the correlations were significant and that no glassware was deemed better than another. Yeah. That's nuts, dude. So this is actually like, you know, true science. Now, Rudell went on to try to disprove this study and they were very upset about it. Um, but, you know, you, you can't sort of deny that there have been these studies that have proven this for a really long time. And this goes back to the conversations that we've had, you know, based on a lot of things, whether you can prove terroir, whether you can prove minerality, et cetera, that there's a lot of things about the world of drinks that are just magical and that, you know, we should just take as being magical, right? If you're someone that wants to collect 20 different kinds of glassware for your cocktails and your beer and your wine, go for it. I'm all for it. But I think it's bullshit when you tell consumers that this is better glassware than others, because scientifically when we go to prove it, we can't, right? If you, if you want to believe in, in, you know, the tooth fairy, you should go. That's good for you. But don't tell people who don't believe in the tooth fairy that they're idiots. Yeah. And And I think this is, that's oh, it. This is the point, right? Like where this where this crosses the line into being, I think, a little bit uh, problematic to me is, as you said, when it's when that, that that sort of approach is being taken by a restaurant or a wine bar. And this is where the like, you know, every wine in a different glass phenomenon I find most sort of off putting because you're right. If you're an individual at home and you decide I want, you know, a different kind of glassware for everything I drink, then that's cool. I mean, again, Adam and I are not here to be like, you should break all those glasses and, and like, you know, just like I said, drink wine out of tumblers or whatever. But like, if you're a restaurant or you're a wine bar, especially if you're, um, you know, a wine bar that does not intend to be, you know, the uber pretentious wine bar that, uh, that does exist, then, you know, think about this, right? I think there are a lot of sommeliers, a lot of people who run wine programs and, and beverage programs who don't necessarily um, realize how all of those choices are are things that people who go to those venues internalize, right? They say, oh, well, you know, man, we were drinking wine at this wine bar or at this restaurant and, and you know, they, they served they served this this uh, this red wine and they served it in, you know, this glassware and then they served the, you know, the Pinot Noir from Oregon in this glass and the Pinot Noir from France in a different glass and, you know, just like creates this whole, this whole sense that is so problematic in wine in particular of like uh, people just assuming they don't know what they're doing. And so, and so they're going to, they're going to internalize that. They're going to turn around and buy a bunch of glassware or, or at least feel like, you know, if they have people over who, who like wine, I mean, I have this happen to me. I'm sure you have it happen to you when you go over to someone else's house and they're just like, Oh gosh, you know, I'm really sorry. I, I, I just, I, we just have these, these wine glasses, you know, they're what we use, but you know, they're, they're not fancy or anything. And, and I always tell people like, I don't give a shit. Like, that's fine. Again, like I believe in the wine I brought over. So Again, I'll drink it out of a water glass. I don't care. I'll drink it out of the bottle, even though, you know, you and I are not generally big proponents of that. No, we're not. But my point is, <laughs> my point is uh, you know, that, that that people get so caught up in all of these sort of trappings, the presentation of wine. And and it just, you know, in a lot of ways, I think it detracts actually from the enjoyment of the thing. Because, it does. Yeah, you know, if you're if you're spending five minutes at home being like, oh, shit, what glassware should I use for this wine? That's that's five minutes that you're not like relaxing, enjoying the wine you're you know, sensibly there to enjoy. And, and, and Dude, that, it, that to me is the problem. It's drink shaming and I'm sick of it. Yeah. You know, this idea that there's one, you know, there, there's one right way to do things is just, it's, it's just so annoying. You know, like, look, I, I don't encourage this, but if I, if you want to make a Negroni and serve it in a pine glass, go for it, man. That's a, it's <laughs> a huge Negroni. You must've had a really hard week, but like, like that's Adam's Friday night, that's fr- Adam's Friday yeah, afternoon. Negroni. But like, come on. It's, it's just, it's not, it's so ridiculous because what I think it says to people is that when, when Riedel says things like this, right, that we've created, you know, 
cocktail glasses that have specifically been engineered for you to get the full that basically says if you don't use these glasses you aren't getting all you can get out of your cocktail or out of your wine or out of your beer and all that basically does to people who are already unsure of the drinks choices they've made is say oh I'm doing it wrong again. And that is like the most, I mean, it's really smart marketing. Oh God, it's smart marketing. But like, it's, it's kind of dirty marketing in a way because you're basically saying, if you don't use this, you're doing it wrong. And I'm going to take advantage of the uncertainty that this entire world gives you in order to basically pressure you into a purchase. Like retail should just make, just make badass. Cocktail glasses, Riedel. Just make badass cocktail glasses, and maybe some people will buy it. Don't, yeah, for sure. Don't in your marketing copy tell me that if I don't buy it, my old fashioned won't taste as good as if I buy it. That is what that is what is so frustrating, and I think that is what time and again science proves is incorrect. And like we need to get away from this sort of dubious, you know, drink shaming marketing in in this world because that's not helping anybody. Not helping anyway. So I have a I have a question to kind of to kind of piggyback on this. So what what do you see in, in, from your perspective, Adam, as being like essential glassware, just beverage glassware generally, wine, beer, spirits, to have? You know, if you are someone who enjoys a drink at home, um, I can't wait. Let's go. Because I think you and I have some thoughts about this. So I think you should have uh, a a white wine glass and a red wine glass only just like a larger. Cause you want a little more surface area for red wine. Um, and you don't need as much surface area for white. I, I like to have flutes for celebratory reasons, but you don't have to have them. I actually enjoy drinking bubbly out of white wine glasses. Um, yes, but, but flutes are fun. Also, uh, you know, coops are fun, but those are like, I would say just for fun, right? Like you don't have to have them. Um, then I think you need for cocktails, a rocks glass, so your standard rocks glass that would be good for you know drinking spirits straight as well as uh, making classic cocktails like Negronis, Old Fashions, Margaritas, etc. You need a highball glass for long drinks. So gin and tonics, uh, you know, screwdrivers and what have you, um, Bloody Marys. Then it's fun to have like a cognac glass, but again, that's like a fun gift that you should ask for. Like, and you'll probably use them once a year. So you don't really need those. They're fun. They look, they look baller, but you don't need them. Then on the beer side, I think having quality pine glasses is great. And then if you're get if you're a really beer, beer, beer nerd, get the Teku glass. It's a, it's a great glass for like tons of different kinds of beer. And then if you're like really into beer Twitter, you can get really weird glasses. Cause that's like the, the whole trend of beer Twitter is like boss pours. So basically, yeah. you know, you just pour the beer in the weirdest glass possible all the way to the room without a head, which is not the way you should pour a beer ever or consume it. But that seems to be, have become a thing. Um, but that's really all I think you need. Um, you know, and, those glasses can work for several different things for you, right? Like the the white or the red glass can also serve as a glass that you put ice in and, you know, make a sangria in. Um, yeah. You know, the highball glasses can also work as water glasses. The the rocks glasses can, can work for other things as well. Like I don't think you would need more than that um, to really have what you, you know, everything that you need to make great drinks. Oh, and maybe if you're a big martini drinker, a martini glass, although the martini glass is such a weird design and I spill oh, everywhere. So, so you know what glass. I would do instead is get a coupe glass because then you can at least drink bubbly out of it and drinks like martinis manhattans etc so again like i'm all for 
I don't like I don't like a unitasker when it comes to my glassware, right? Multitaskers are much more important. So get something like a coupe glass where you could pour bubbly out of it if you're feeling festive in like the roaring twenties, you know, you're 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 the great Gatsby. But then you could also have Manhattans and uh, you know, martinis and things like that of it as well. What do you think? I think I- I think that's a good list. I think uh, the thing I would say, or the two things I would say to that are one more important to me than like uh, sort of how diverse your glassware is, is like, do you have enough glassware so that when you have people over, you can serve everyone from sort of a vaguely similar glass? Because I think there is something that the mistake that people make where they're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I, I think you're better off getting eight or 10 just all purpose wine glasses and then having, you know, four white and four red glasses, because all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where you're like, oh, I'm start pouring red wine for six people and I only have four red wine glasses or, you know, whatever. Um, and obviously, you know, space is an issue for different people. I, I have too much glassware because people give it to me and it's like squirreled away in random parts of our house. Um, but for the most part, um, you know, people have concerns about sort of having enough glassware. And I think that's that's step one is just make sure you have enough to entertain with, you know, without feeling like you are, you know, then forcing some someone to get the short straw and get um, kind of the, the crappy glass or the thing that isn't really the proper vessel in any way, shape or form. Um, and I think, I mean, I would, I mean, I'd say like your, your list is maybe even more generous than I would be. Cause I think you can, a lot of drinks, you know, we, we tend to have a standard way we like to serve them, but I would drink a martini out of a rocks glass and I would drink a, uh, you know, I drink a gin and tonic out of a pint glass. I mean, like you can always make it work. Um, I think the pint glass is an essential cause you also need it for making drinks often. Um, I think, you know, uh, some sort of rocks glass is essential, uh, a wine glass, I mean, shit i might leave that might be it for me if i was wow. really like that's what i started out with when i was a you know newly out of college and uh in the intervening many years uh i have greatly grown my glassware collection again half intentionally and half by happenstance but um as my wife reminds me every time we talk about moving um a lot of that's going to probably go away whenever we do move because uh, I'm not I'm not packing it all up and <laughs> taking it uh, to another house if that yes, even when that does happen. I, I think you know I think to close I think I think your best point in all of that Zach <laughs> was having oh, cool. enough. Thank you. Please judge please judge my performance. For I love session. it. Yeah, I think having enough is really true. You know, like I, I'm much more of a proponent of like get one set of stemware in which you have, you know, eight to 12 glasses if you like to entertain a lot, um, allowing for some breakage. And also buy glassware that you know that's not super specialty. In in that, I mean, buy glassware that you know is going to be made continuously. So that if you break one or two in that set, you can buy more and they will still look the same. We get a lot of people who say like, oh yeah, you know, like I went and bought this like specialty hand-blown glass and then like it broke, They a few of them broke and now like I have a mixed set because like no one likes a mixed set. Um, and like, look, if you want to like to take the free glasses from wineries, more power to you. It's just, you know, that's the look you're, that's the look you're going for. Um, I, I will admit that is what we drink out of like very casually around the house. Because, just the like, free glassware? Yeah, because like, you know, when it's just, when it's just Caitlin and me, like we, you know, or we have like a friend over or like something like that. Like I don't want to deal with getting the nicer glassware out. And then really, actually the real issue is dealing with cleaning it afterwards. Exactly. It can, be, can be finicky. Um, and so actually, yeah, get yeah. some dishwasher safe shit, you know, make, get your glassware as dishwasher yeah, safe. Yeah, yeah. We sell some on the vine pair site, little plug. Um, <laughs> and you know, and you're good to go. And just don't let anyone judge you for the glassware you're drinking. And look, if at the end of the day you want to drink your wine out of that rock glass you got for the old fashions, you do you boo. 
yeah, like some days just call for a pint glass of wine. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying, man. You know, whatever. Uh, Uh, Just like that. And with that, Zach, I will actually see you here live next week uh, for the Vine Pair Magazine launch, and we'll do some recording in person, which is crazy. Only the second time ever. You'll meet some people. Uh, Tim did save you that bottle of rosé, by the way. Ah, sweet. I'm going to take back at least a few of those bad things I've been saying about Tim. Oh, he's a good guy, man. He's a yeah, good I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, All right, cool. All right, man. I will talk to you next week and everyone else. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you right back here same time next week. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to Vine Pair. We'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to drop us a line at podcast at vinepair.com. And if you really love the show, we'd love if you'd rate it and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and ratings really help other people discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is recorded in New York City at VinePair headquarters and in Seattle, Washington at Cloud Studios. Our engineer is Nick Patriot, and the show is produced by Zach Joal and me. Our show logo was designed by Daniel Grinberg. Special thanks as well to the entire VinePair staff, including but not limited to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and our editor-in-chief, Emily Saladino. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.